Hello, my friends. Thank you for once again joining us on Appalachian Firesides this week. I want to go ahead and begin by apologizing for not being able to release a episode of the Sights to See and Places to Be in Appalachia last week. Um, as I said when I kind of put the word out that that episode was not going to be airing, that week was not the very best opportunity in the world to record an episode and, and publish it. So I do apologize for that, and I, I thank you all very much for your understanding. And I'm very glad to be bringing this episode to you. That's the penultimate episode. We've got one more in a week's time airing on Halloween, so that'll be fun. Uh, got a great episode lined up for you all then, and we've got a great one lined up for you all this week as well. I am joined this week by Kevin Dunn. Kevin is an author and scholar of Appalachia. He is a, a professor and, and, and a great teacher, and he's a great writer. And he is coming out with a new book called Vicious Is My Middle Name. This book is mainly geared towards younger readers, but I have to say, for me, it was very, very enjoyable to read as well. And I think a lot of you all will like it regardless of your age. The book follows Sydney Talcott, who is a transplant to Appalachia. She is moving from Rochester, New York, with her mother to a community called Beaver Dam, North Carolina, where her mother is from. And Sydney has a few difficulties transitioning to her new home. She experiences bullying. She has some uh, instances of butting heads with a few of her teachers. She misses her friends and family back in Rochester. And she doesn't quite know what to make of this community that she's in that's so different from the one that she knows and loves. But over the course of this book, not only does she learn to love her new community and make some really good friends along the way, but she also learns how to fight for her community. Now, in Beaver Dam, there is a proposed asphalt plant to be built near the middle school where Sydney and her friends Sean and Rita attend, and... Sydney begins looking into the folks behind this project, the adverse environmental and health impacts of the plant, and she gets her friends together and they decide to do something about it. Now, I don't want to spoil it for you all. I want you to go out and read it for yourself. You, I promise you will not be disappointed, but I wanted to whet your appetite a little bit for this story. It was just engaging and, and very uh, captivating from the start to the finish. Kevin is a really good writer, and he brings together a story that not only shows the importance of empathy, not only shows the power and influence that we have ourselves in instances of direct action against uh, forms of injustice, but he also shows how diverse, how welcoming, how wonderful of a community Appalachia is for folks from all over, whether they're from Appalachia or not. Uh, how you can find people who are invested in you, who care about you, and you will find lifelong friends here too, just as Sydney does in the book. So again, the book is called Vicious Is My Middle Name by Kevin Dunn. It is out November 15th, 2022. Uh, be sure to uh, pick this book up and read it. I highly recommend it. Can't recommend it enough. And I was very glad to be joined by Kevin on the podcast today to talk about his inspiration for writing the book, the process of writing the book, how he... Uh, put together all of these different threads into a really uh, captivating story. I hope that you all enjoy this conversation, and I know that you will enjoy the book. Be sure to uh, look into getting it for yourself. And without further delay, let's get into it. Kevin, thank you so much for um, agreeing to to be on the show. Thank you for for reaching out too. I uh, thoroughly enjoyed 
your book. And I think it's, uh, I know, I understand that it's geared more towards uh, fiction aimed at younger folks, but I, I really enjoyed this book. And, and I think that uh, a lot of other folks will as well. And so I just wanted to thank you and give you the opportunity now to uh, introduce yourself to the listeners, talk about uh, what inspired you to write the book, your your connection to Appalachia, anything that you'd like to, to say to introduce yourself in the book. Go right ahead. The floor is yours. Yeah, thanks, TJ. I really appreciate that. Um, um, thanks for having me here on the podcast. Um, and I'm glad that you enjoyed it yourself. I mean, uh, I have, when I was writing this, uh, my youngest was 12 going on 13, and uh, uh, they're voracious readers. So I really wrote this with them in mind, right. uh, but also with myself in mind, right? Because they were always giving me books, and they always appreciated books that you know, spoke to the 13, 14, 15 year old self in them, but also translated it into something that I might enjoy. So right. I'm glad that you enjoyed it yourself, right? Because I also was trying to write for, you know, adults who might pick it up as, as, as well. That's sure. great. Um, but yeah, as you said, um, my name's Kevin, um, Kevin John. Uh, uh, I was originally born in Jacksonville, Florida, but I moved uh, to the mountains of North Carolina uh, back in 1989 and have lived there on and off. Uh, ever since, um, and I now spend my time split between Western uh, North Carolina and Western New York State, just because uh, I've got a job that allows me to do that. Um, and the inspiration, as I said, was really um, seeing my youngest uh, being a voracious reader, but not really seeing themselves in a lot of books that they were reading. Right. So I set out to, to have a book that kind of spoke to them and some of the things that they were interested in. Um, so my, my youngest, uh, their name is Strummer Don, and Strummer named for Joe Strummer of the Clash. Right, gotcha. Said me, this is Talcott here, the protagonist of, of my story. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, no, that that's excellent. And uh, the whole, the, the story, uh, the character of Sydney um, uh, and her friends and her family, uh, all of these different characters are... Just so you you bring them to life very well in the story, and I can see how, given your background as as yourself going back and forth between New York and North Carolina, which and I d don't want to give too much away for the folks who might who who will read the book, but uh, that's where Sydney is coming from, and that she is moving from Rochester, New York, to uh, Beaver Dam in Western North Carolina. I, I can see how uh, your your children would see themselves uh, in in that character very much, and uh, Sydney is. Um, a, a as I said, a wonderful character that you bring to life very well. But uh, her struggles with a, adapting to her new environment are um, palpable in in the in the narrative, and it's something that um, you, you know. Usually, when I, I feel that when you discuss stories of um, similar to this, where you have uh, uh, this kind of setting, perhaps, or, or focuses on Appalachia in general. Uh, I would think that the standard way to go would be to tell the story of someone who might be in uh, the vice versa situation of Sydney from a Appalachian community and going somewhere else like a fish out of water story in that respect. But I really like how you did the inverse of that and showing how somebody from outside of the region would uh, and from a place different uh, from where they're uh, Rochester being so different from Beaver Dam, uh, showing how that struggle of adapting to a new environment is not only um, something that a lot of folks from Appalachia who move outside of the region face, but for someone who moves from outside of Appalachia to a Appalachian community could also be a big adjustment. And so I really enjoyed that aspect of the story. 
Yeah, thank you so much. I, I appreciate that. I mean, um, the, the transition, I mean, you know from the very first page that uh, Sydney's going to engage or encounter some bullying. Right. Um, so that's part of the transition, right? But the other transition I think you kind of talked about really eloquently there is a transition from, say, a urban to a rural space, but also from outside Appalachia to uh, a, what I think is a, a deeply Appalachian community. Right. Uh, and some of the, the ways that she has to adjust with that, I mean, as I did when I moved back in 1989 to sure. Appalachia, I kids kind of seeing this, you know, and I see other people who come to Appalachia trying to navigate the, the assumptions, the, the stereotypes that they might have of Appalachians uh, right. living in the region. And so hopefully the book works on that level. Um, but also, as you pointed out, like the Appalachia itself, I envision when I was writing this as, as a character in itself of, of the book, right? Absolutely. So Sydney really learns to fall. It's a love story. She really learns to fall in love with her surroundings, where at first she doesn't quite understand. It's just different. And so different is kind of challenging or just is, is lesser than, right? She's not, there's a measure up to what she had back in Rochester. And then she starts to realize halfway through that this is a, a community um, and a, an environment um, that's, that she's in love with and worth fighting for. Right. Absolutely. And I, I really like how you, um, uh, you spoke of Appalachia as being a character in the, in the book. And I think that that is uh, completely the case. And the way that uh, Appalachia is brought to life in this book is through characters and, and instances in the narrative that, um, I feel that many folks don't typically associate with Appalachia and specifically uh, to the two people who become Sydney's best friends, Sean and Rita. And uh, they come from uh, racially diverse backgrounds that people don't often associate with Appalachia. Appalachia is often um, uh, homogenized as being completely made up of, of um, you know, white folks and, and such. But uh, uh, what is often sadly missed is that there is a lot of um, diversity in Appalachia. And you bring that to life very well through the characters of Sean and Rita. And um, going back to your point, Sydney being able to interact with them and, and learn about the community that she is um, making her home through Sean's knowledge of Beaver Dam, uh, learning about the struggles that Rita's family faces throughout the book, uh, is a way that she's able not only to learn to empathize with folks who come from different backgrounds as she, uh, in, in, in a lot of different respects, but it, it's also a way to show her, I think, that Appalachia is not at all the sum of, of whatever stereotype or, or generalization she may have heard beforehand. So I, I really enjoyed that aspect of the book and how uh, there are not, uh, in addition to Sean and Rita, other characters who highlight the diversity of Appalachia beyond the generalizations and the stereotypes that are often associated with it. Yeah, thanks. I, I appreciate that. And that was clearly, I think, one of my intent starting out is because when I, I moved to Appalachia, um, you know, Western North Carolina, it became really clear to me that I was surrounded by racially diverse people, right? right. Um, you had migrant workers that families had settled for Rita's family is from Guatemala. Um, I was experiencing that. I mean, in Western North Carolina, it's very clear to see whether it's, a, you know, Mexican restaurants run, run by people who've been there for one or two generations or various bodegas. Um, but also uh, Sean, right, who's uh, an African-American living in Appalachia, 
Um, so when I moved um, and I lived not too far from Boone, North Carolina, which has a historically uh, deep African-American community known as Dumalesca, right. Uh, right there in the center of Boone. And when I moved there, um, that was, and people started talking to me about, oh, there's Dumalesca, this is the African-American community. And I remember just like, it just didn't compute based right. on my assumptions of what Appalachia was when I was, when I was moving there. Right. Um, and the whole Appalachian community, that Appalachian is a, is a term that Frank Walker has come up with. And I kind of picked up on that here, that, that um, Sean is a, a member of that community or a proud, proudly identifies as such. Um, Cause I think that's the reality. I mean, that's the reality today, but that's been the reality for a long time. Is Absolutely. Appalachia is, is, is far more diverse than the external stereotypes have made it to be, right? Um, and so I think that ho hopefully I'm just showing the, what's, what's actually there is that diversity. No, I think so. I absolutely think so. And uh, that leads into uh, two of the major themes that I, that I picked up from, from reading the, the story, and I'm sure that these were two that you had in mind in writing it, were the importance of, of empathy, and learning to empathize and sympathize with folks from, uh, speci especially from backgrounds different than your own, but also with folks you know who are who you may feel that you have a lot of similarities with, still learning to empathize with them as well. Um, that was one that I feel was very much highlighted, not only through Sydney's uh, friendship with Sean and Rita, but also uh, from her interactions with uh, other folks, both within um, Beaver Dam and, and Franklin, the community, um, about an hour's wave drive from Beaver Dam, and also uh, uh, learning to empathize more deeply with her mother, uh, with her, her brother Joey, with her friend Chris back in Rochester. There are all these instances that I picked up on in reading the story that she is, Sydney is able to, through ruminating on what it must be like for uh, for instance, for her her best friend Chris back in Rochester to still be there without Sydney, there's an instance wherein uh, th th throughout the book where Sydney feels that she and Chris are becoming a bit more uh, separated in the sense that they're not staying in as much communication as they are at the beginning stages of the book, and that that's something that Sydney struggles with in feeling more distant from her friend. But by the end, she comes to realize that. You know, at the end of the day, they're in, you know, they're a great distance apart and they have to continue on with their own lives in a way. And Sydney learns to understand that and empathize with Chris in that respect. And she also learns to sympathize with folks like her her English teacher, who she has right. a few uh, notable instances of headbutting and disagreement. And by the end of the book, she comes to empathize with him in a very, in a deep way. And their relationship turns into something really valuable to themselves, but also to the wider community as well. So that was one uh, theme, that theme of empathy and the importance of it that, that I picked up, uh, that I picked on throughout the story. And as I said, I'm sure that that was one of your intentions in yeah, writing the book. Absolutely, TJ. That's great. I really appreciate that because I, I, I wanted to start out with Sydney as a flawed character um, who grows and, and she grows through, through recognizing her own privilege and position and then empathizing with others um, in a, as you point out, a kind of a, hopefully an ever expanding circle, right? right. Uh, she's starting to see connections uh, with people um, that she didn't see before. And so she's starting to empathize with them. Um, and some of, some of that, uh, there's uh, 
so as well, you know, um, Sydney regards herself as a punk, as kind of an outcast, right. as, as a misfit uh, in the story. And there's a conversation that she has with uh, Sean about her misfit outside status and their misfit outside status. Yes. Sean, for me, there's a really important conversation where Sean basically points out, you're an outcast by choice. Absolutely. You're an outcast because of, of how society sees us in terms of, and we, we can't change our clothes. We have a certain skin tone. We have a certain socioeconomic class background. And I didn't, and that, that scene, that conversation just wrote itself as I was going through Like this, this has, when I started having that conversation in, in, as I was writing, like, oh, this conversation has to take place because this is exactly what I've created this character, Sean, to say to this character I've created as, as Sydney. And this is, this is exactly the kind of revelatory moment that, that Sydney needs to have uh, in terms of kind of pushing into that larger empathetic position that you're talking about. So that's great. I really appreciate you picking up on that. Oh, absolutely. And, and that conversation you're alluding to that, that uh, I'm really glad you brought that up for, that was one of the most powerful instances for me in reading this book. And, and it is really important to the, the story. And it's also important uh, for, you know, in in a broader, in a broader sense for anybody who may read the book and understanding um, it, looking at their own position and realizing whether or not they, as you said, and as, as is true for Sydney, whether they have a choice to be an outcast um, whereas right. you know Sydney has the choice to be an outcast, as, as you said, but Sean and Rita don't because of those reasons you mentioned, because of their their background and their racial background and the socioeconomic class that they're in, and that just goes along with building um, solidarity and empathy and compassion amongst a group of people who, on the outside, you may not have many similarities with, but that you end up having a lot to relate to, a lot in common. Um, and, and I think that relates well to the second, um, prominent theme that I picked up in, in reading the book and the idea of direct action. Uh, so for, for, a, a little bit of context for the listeners, the story centers around a proposed asphalt plant that, uh, an asphalt plant that is proposed to be built in Beaver Dam, where Sydney and her, her friends are very nearby to their, their school, Beaver Dam Middle School. And so Sydney looks into, the folks behind this operation and the uh, public health and environmental risks in building this plant. And so she and her friend, Sean and Rita and others along the way band together and form a community effort to stop this from happening. And I uh, really enjoyed this aspect of the story because in many ways that is so much of the story of Appalachian communities across the region when facing a lot of different whether it's um, economic or social, political, environmental um, difficulties, so much of the response um, has been from communities themselves banding together, individuals who actually live in these communities Absolutely. taking a stand. Yeah. I think of the the Mountain Valley Pipeline proposed through Virginia and West Virginia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so that's a really important aspect of the story, too. And it's a very Appalachian aspect of it, but one that can be applied, uh, obviously, in a wider sense. And uh, I'd love to get your your... Uh, take on that aspect of the story. Yeah, that that's that exactly was one of the examples that I was thinking of. I mean, so uh, again, Sydney comes from she identifies as as a punk, and yeah. for her, that's not just uh, you know partly shaved head and wearing Doc Martens and band T-shirts, but also she kind of embodies uh, kind of a do-it-yourself 
uh, anti-status quo ethos that she sees in punk. And, and so I have a background in punk. I've been uh, or playing music and organizing and, and been writing about punk for, for years and years and years. So when I was putting this novel together, it just made sense for that character to have those attributes. Um, and then when I put her in this context, um, in Appalachia, I knew, I knew the flashpoint. I didn't start out knowing the flashpoint, but I, but it was very quickly developed. Like I have to talk about the environment. I thought right. about environmental challenges because just as I think Appalachia today, and there's always been diverse Appalachian Appalachians today and have always had to, um, fight to preserve the environment, right. um, whether it's from external forces or from internal forces as well. Um, right. And whether it's clear cutting, whether it's mountaintop removal, whether it's pipeline, we can just keep going on. Right. Um, uh, this is a, a long struggle in the, in the history of Appalachia and that the resistance to, to that, those, those developments have always been grassroots. Right. right. Um, and that resonates with Sydney's own kind of belief of like, we can't wait for someone else to come solve our problems for us. We have to do it ourselves. That kind of right. DIY punk. And so she, she's using the tools of, of punk, but she could also as well look around at the larger Appalachian community and say, okay, let's talk about some of the, the, the struggles and resistance where the Appalachian communities within Appalachia have, have kind of pushed back because um, they've had to, right? They've had, and we, we still have to, right? Absolutely. Um, along a, a wide spectrum of environmental issues, which I, I, I know, TJ, you're well aware of, it just can become more pronounced as we move into the future with man-made global climate change and so forth, uh, as well as buckling down on extracting of, 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 of natural resources uh, in our communities. Um, that's something that we're just going to have to... And again, it's, the solution's not going to come from outside. We're going to have to do this ourselves and build bridges um, to, to um, other like-minded people across communities. Absolutely. And, and that's very much what, what uh, Sydney does in the book in building bridges and uh, in gathering support for this um, effort to oppose the construction of the asphalt plant. She finds allies all across the Beaver Dam community, across um, in, in uh, the community of Franklin, just a little ways away. And uh, I, that part of this, that aspect of the story, I think, goes to show how, you know, for someone on the outside looking in, in terms of specifically environmental issues, may they, they may be surprised to learn that there are a lot of folks in Appalachia who are very much concerned about environmental uh, issues and concerned about maintaining and cons conserving and keeping a healthy environment away and moving away from these projects that are really detrimental to uh, the environmental health and public health. And, you know, the, the, um, one of the generalizations that I feel is often applied to Appalachia, you know, I'm from Eastern Kentucky. And so the, uh, this goes with um, hand in hand with the uh, uh, perceptions of coal mining, for instance, uh, and, right. and and I'm sure it's the, it's the same for other Appalachian communities. Is that you know there are a lot of folks in these communities who are concerned about the impacts of these projects, and if uh, someone takes the first step of trying to organize uh, in solidarity with these other folks, they'll find that they have a lot of allies if they just go and talk to people, which is what Sydney does with with her granddad in uh, in the book and, and with other folks as well. And so that, that was another aspect of the story that I feel uh, very much 
shows how there's a lot of um, will in Appalachia among Appalachians in these communities to stand against projects and efforts that are harmful to the their environment and harmful to the public health. And so that was one aspect of the story that, that I really enjoyed. Uh, that's great. And you know yourself being in Eastern Kentucky that um, those alliances cut across um, uh, cut across um, lines that you might not have assumed, right? That right. people who might be associated with the coal mining industry actually are are associated with them because of me, but they recognize the the, the damage, the challenges, absolutely, uh, and um, come come very supportive. Cuts across um, age and generation as well. I mean, that's right. something that you know. Um, uh, there's there's a a great deal of attention maybe among youth right now in right. terms of environmental issues. Uh, and I've often talked to some younger activists who are always pleasantly surprised that the 75-year-old farmer uh, down down the road is right. fully on board with what they're talking about. And, right. and so, yeah, making these connections and these alliances uh, often cut across preconceived differences um, that aren't, aren't, aren't actually there. Absolutely. Um, and I think that uh, I really enjoyed how uh, prominent of a role music plays in this story, too. Uh, I I am not well versed at all in, in the genre of punk, but in, in all honesty, this this book has uh, made me want to expand my my own uh, tastes in that sure. and start listening <laughs> to it more. Uh, but I, I enjoyed the confluence between the genre of punk music and Appalachian folk and 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 such because uh, yeah I'm sure it's the same for punk music but you know and this is something else that a lot of folks may not be aware of the history of Appalachian folk music is very much rooted in community organizing against uh, you know instances of injustice whether it be social injustice economic injustice racial injustice the whole history of folk music particularly in Appalachia being um, a home to a lot of uh, oppressed and marginalized and and exploited communities and 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 people. Uh, the history of folk music is rooted in protest and, and social reform, and and I'm sure it's the same with punk music as well. And so, and at the climax of the of the book, with this effort that they have to oppose the oppose the building of the asphalt plant, there's this convergence of Appalachian folk music and punk music in a way that just brings together all of these strands of organizing and reform and and protest in a way that I really enjoyed. And it speaks to as we've been saying. Uh, not only does uh, organizing have a way to transcend su superficial differences that may be there, but music very much does the same way. And and uh, I really enjoy that aspect of the book as well. And I'd love to hear you talk about that. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. It's great. I mean, um, absolutely what you're saying in terms of the history of Appalachian music, old time music, right? Uh, its roots in, in um, uh, resistance, right? The, the, the kind of... Um, not just not, yes resistance, but also uh, resistance of that we're gonna we're gonna do this for ourselves, right? right? And um, that Appalachian music, old time music, largely existed outside of the larger music industry. So right. Just like punk in Sydney is saying, like, okay, this is how we organize house shows, or we how we put on punk shows, we kind of do it ourselves. Well, let's talk about porch gatherings, you know, old time music, we're getting together, we're, we're, we're operating outside of the kind of larger music industry. And so right. I really wanted her, uh, one of the ways that she grows is to kind of recognize, oh, I, I'm not, I, I love punk music, but I also can see connections to other uh, genres. And so like, by the end, I mean, she becomes really 
enamored with Doc Watson right. and some other musicians as well. And for me, that was really important, right? Because because you know Doc lived just up the road from where you know I lived, and would I would see Doc on a regular basis, and so um, he kind of you know, uh, represented to me this kind of interesting Appalachian figure who's got a kind of global recognition, but really deep local ties. I mean, I would see him at a local elementary school playing music for a spaghetti dinner, right? right. So this is a man who, who is really committed to his own local community. Um, and so having, um, having Sydney kind of grow, not, not leave Punk behind, definitely not, because she still identifies as such, but recognizing uh, other elements of, uh, of, of things that she admired in other musical genres, specifically around Appalachia, right? That was in part, again, her falling in love with not just Appalachia, but Appalachian, the culture of the community there. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and I really enjoyed how much of a prominent place uh, Doc Watson has in the story. He's one of my favorites, too. I play a little guitar and I've been trying to learn a few of his songs. And so that's uh, I really enjoyed that aspect of the story. Um, Kevin, I'd like to give you this moment. Is there anything else, um, any other aspects of, of the book that you'd at all like to mention or highlight for, for the listeners to give them a sense of what this book is like and what it would be like for and what it will be like for them to to read it? Yeah, I, mean, I guess the last thing I would say, and, and we've kind of skirted on this a lot, is that at the end of the day, one of the things that, that the book is about self-empowerment, right? right. That, that at the end of the day, uh, I wanted to create a, a young female protagonist um, who uses her own resources, her own friend community, um, and really uh, feels a sense of agency uh, and empowerment as she engages in the, with the world. And, you know, she, she loses some things, but she wins, right? I mean, right. She's, she, and, and, and she learns the lesson um, that she can, she can, she and her friends uh, can rely on their own, their own kind of uh, uh, agency and, and, and power. And so that sense of, of self-empowerment, I think, was a really, um, I wanted to, to build that into the novel because I wanted my kids when they were reading it to, to see that, especially my youngest one. Um, and, and, you know, and that resonates with them because they're very much uh, about um, challenging the status quo and, and using their own voices. Um, I think that's an important lesson for the youth today, right? Especially coming out of the pandemic when we all feel right. scared and a little bit shaky of, of, of you know, it's a, it, the, the big, bad, scary world became bigger and badder and even scarier right. uh, for the last three or four years. Um, and I want readers, especially young readers, to have a sense of like, okay, no, wait, I, I, I've got power in my own voice. I've got power in my own actions. I can make a change. Um, and, I, and I should use my voice and I should use the, the, the agency that I have. Well, that comes across very, very powerfully in the in the in the novel, absolutely. And you know that just is such an important lesson for everybody to to learn, as you said. But um, you know, particularly for uh, folks in communities, um, not just in Appalachia, but uh, you know, across the wherever you might find them that have experienced uh, marginalization, exploitation, um, um, isolation, and in in all of these different respects, the the realization that we, as you said, uh, empowerment and the the realization that there is a lot of agency that we have on our part to address these issues and to to 
make meaningful change for the good of our community and for the good of folks around us is such an important lesson, as you said, for young people to learn, for folks in and outside of Appalachia to learn. And it comes across very well in in this book. It's a uh, it's amazing. It's an amazing book. Uh, Vicious is my middle name, if I'm not mistaken. It is out November fifteenth. Is that still is that still the awesome? Um, I'd, we just have a few minutes left, and I'd like to give you this chance for uh, to tell the listeners where where can they pick up the book? Um, uh, are there different uh, whether can they get a physical or electronic copy? Anything of that um, sort that you'd like to uh, say right now? Uh, go right ahead, Kevin. Yeah, thanks. I, I'm really lucky that it's being published by Fitzroy Books, which is an imprint of Regal House Books, Books, excuse me, uh, which is an uh, independent uh, publisher in North Carolina. Um, they're just a wonderful group of people, um, and they've got it out at all the various places, right? So it's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all the kind of um, uh, uh, internet-based places that you could buy a book. As well as the, you know, it'll hopefully be in your local bookstores. You could ask for it. Uh, we're reaching out to independent bookstores because, as an independent um, publisher, they've got strong connections to independent booksellers across Appalachian, across the Southeast. Um, there will there's an ebook version of it out as well. Um, so if people prefer that that way, I'm I'm still stuck in the physical physical copy myself, but I do understand the value of ebooks. Sure. Um, uh, but yeah, it's out there. Uh, the pre-order is available now. And then on November 15th, uh, the physical copies uh, will be available. That sounds amazing. Well, Kevin, thank you. Thank you so much for, for writing this book and for also uh, being on the podcast to talk to to me about it. I really appreciate it. I've enjoyed this conversation, getting to know you, getting to know you through the book and, and here as well. Um, if there's anything you'd like to say to close us out, go right ahead. The floor is yours. Oh, TJ, I just appreciate it. Uh, it's uh, been great to talk to you. Um, uh, I've enjoyed, I always enjoy uh, talking to someone who's actually such a close reader of this book, right? So I appreciate that you're like, you picked up on themes, you thought, you thought about the book. And I know from your other podcast that you take the time to think about um, the content of your conversations with whether they're authors or, or activists or politicians or aspiring politicians. So it's been a pleasure being here, TJ. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Kevin. And uh, you're welcome again on the podcast at any time. I look forward to to seeing how, how well the book is going to do. I'm sure it's going to be a great success. And uh, again, thank you so much. My pleasure, TJ. Well, y'all, thank you so much for tuning in for this week's episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. And thank you guys for everything that you do to support the podcast in whatever way that you do. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you, so thank you. If you like that music that you're listening to in the background, that is a piece called In the Sweet By and By by a great artist named Zechariah Hickman. And you can find him on YouTube. Be sure to check his channel out. Be sure to follow the podcast on social media for all of the updates going forward. It's at App Firesides on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Make sure to join us next week for another full-length episode. But until then, stay safe, stay healthy, love your neighbor, and do good things. Catch you guys next time.